G'day mate, Forty here. So, I think I know why you're here. Some dude put his fist in your anus and there was excruciating pain. But let's try to unpack what really went on there. Like, first of all, he asked you for permission, right? And, and you said yes. Like, he didn't want you to say no. You could have said no to him. But you said yes. You told him he could put his fist in your anus. So, in effect, you put his fist in your anus because you told him he could. But you blame him for that. Right? Do you blame other blokes for putting their fists in your anus when you consent to that? All right. So, I'm speaking metaphorically here. I'm not speaking literally. Now, please, God, most of us have not had the experience of being fisted. Right? So, you say no to yourself... And you blame him for that choice. So I'm reading this book, The Lies We Tell Ourselves, How to Face the Truth, Accept Yourself, and Create a Better Life. Right? You ready to create a better life? This is a terrific book by a, a John Fredrickson. I'm just really interested in the general topic of the lies we tell ourselves. Now, why do we do that? Right? So, when we say no to ourselves, and then we blame other people for taking advantage of us. So, what did you feel when some bloke asked you if he could put his fist in your anus? You probably didn't like the idea. So, what were you feeling towards that bloke? You were probably feeling angry. You were angry with him, and then you dealt with your anger by turning it on yourself by inviting him to hurt you. So, you got angry with him, you forgot your anger, you turned it on yourself, and you invited him to hurt you. So you invited him to punish you for being angry with him. All right, so this is a terrific book here by John Fredrickson. I've been downloading all these books on the lies we tell ourselves. So this one got the most ratings on Amazon. How to face the truth, accept yourself, and create a better life. So I started out by reading some articles on the lies we tell ourselves. And so from the suggestions, I came up with a list. And I don't think I tell myself these lies anymore. But uh, early in my life, I did. So there's nothing I can do. So that's the, the sense of victimhood that has often possessed me. Or there's something inherently wrong with me. That, that, would, uh, that would be something I would think. I would change, but I can't because of this situation, this, you know, this health problem, this financial problem. I know what I'm doing. Okay, I still still sometimes tell myself that lie. I know what I'm doing. I'm just not good at X. Yeah, that's, that's something fairly common I say to myself. I don't regret anything. Yeah, that's an attitude that I take towards life because it just doesn't serve me to walk around with regrets. So I take the attitude that given who I was at the time, I could not have acted differently. I'm unlucky. Yeah, when I've been in victim mode, I certainly felt that. When I'm ready, I'll finally do X. I never had a chance. Victim of thinking, and that's just who I am. So, I just opened up a book on the topic by therapist John Fredrickson. And he says, we become well by relating to what is here. Which is very much like 12-step teachings, that humility is accepting reality. It's a very simple definition of Humility, right? It's not a religious definition. It's not a super spiritual definition. It's just a really pragmatic definition.
Humility is accepting reality. How do you know that you are not in humility? Because you get humiliated. We get humiliated when we don't accept reality. So the reality is, right now I'm making this video and only one person is watching. Now, I have complete faith that in time, hundreds of people will watch this video. But reality is reality. So, starts off, just one person is watching. Okay, we become well by relating to reality, by relating to what is here. We become sick by relating to our fantasies. So, I found out as a kid that I could get away from my problems by living in fantasy. And so, I developed all sorts of grandiose, narcissistic, self-aggrandizing thinking, which would temporarily make me feel better, but then would make me less equipped to deal with reality. So a good therapist stops us from running away from ourselves so that we can rest in reality. So welcome to the reality show. When we remain in this moment, this moment is the only home we have. I read that in the book. This moment is the only home we have. Right, a place for you, right here, this moment. It's our only home. Remaining in the moment, we feel our feelings, which reach out to us through anxiety. Anxiety invites us to dive into the places from which we always run. The places we are afraid to descend into and to explore. So therapists give us this message. What you run from is where you need to rest. What you fear, you need to face. What you ignore, you need to hear. So I'm about to make a big move to Sydney, Australia. About 75% sure I'll make this move, but I don't trust my own judgment, so I'm talking to a lot of friends. And I want to make sure that I'm not trying to do a geographic. I don't want to be running away from anything. right? What I want to run from is where I need to rest. What I fear, I need to face. What I ignore, I need to hear. So I'm going to go back to Los Angeles in a few weeks and I'm going to spend some time in Los Angeles and see if I still yearn to move to Sydney. So this book says, you are the most important person you will ever meet. Why not be on good terms with yourself? So I talked about that in a recent stream. It's a new, new theory I've discovered about how we filter everything through our own sense of self. So self-verification theory, all right? If we think we're a good person, then when people tell us we're a good person, that just verifies what we already think. We're always telling people, manipulating people, putting ourselves in situations where people will verify what we already think about us. And uh, probably the more desperate we are to get people to think of us a certain way, the more anxiety we've got going and the more trouble we're in. So you are the most important person you will ever meet. Why not be on good terms with yourself? So I think about 70% of people are on reasonably good terms with themselves and then the other 30% are addicts or alcoholics or sex addicts, very troubled souls, right? So if you have a negative self-image, you will filter everything that happens to you through that self-image. That's reality. And when you get that negative view of yourself reinforced to you, then it will calm you down. But if you have a negative view of yourself and other people give you positive feedback, that will disturb you and disorient you. So at work, according to conventional thinking, your relationship with your boss is the most important relationship you will have at work. 
but maybe your relationship with yourself is the most important relationship you'll have. Because to have a good relationship with your boss, you're going to have to have a good relationship with yourself. Your boss is not going to relate well to you if you are hating on yourself, if you have a bad relationship with yourself. If you are ill at ease with yourself, other people are going to be ill at ease with you. So why not be on good terms with yourself and then extend that out to other people? So to be on good terms with ourselves, we have to listen underneath our words, underneath our excuses, underneath the explanations we use, underneath the stories we tell, underneath our defenses, underneath our lies. We have to be at ease with the reality of ourselves. And the reality of ourselves is we're all incredibly vulnerable. We all have, have fears. We all have weak points. We all have buttons that can get pushed. And accepting that reality makes us less liable to have our buttons pushed. These beliefs that we have about ourselves, called projections, seem true because they are real. They are the realities we reject in ourselves and we relocate in others. If we criticize ourselves, we imagine others criticize us. If we ignore ourselves, we imagine others ignore us. If we fail to care for ourselves, we believe people don't care for us. However, the persons we project upon can be the mirrors we look at to see, learn, and accept what we reject in ourselves. That's good. That's good. So often when I talk in therapy about myself in a very harsh, critical way, sometimes my therapist will say, whose voice is that? And I think about it and go, oh, yeah, that's my father's voice. You know, I've internalized my father's critical voice. And when we ignore ourselves, we then imagine others are going to ignore us because we're not, we're not worthy of being seen. So I've had several friends go through a spiritual breakdown where their beliefs about the world were shown to be false. And so everything that they held to be true and sacred was destroyed. Everything that they clung to in their belief system had, had blown up in the face of, of life. That's called a, a spiritual emergency. When your understanding of how the world works is smashed up, it's blown up to smithereens, it, your narratives about life do not fit reality. Right? That leads to a nervous breakdown, a spiritual crisis, to depression. But breakdowns point to deeper truths because only that which is false in you can break down. Right? So if you have stories about the world which are shown to be false, only that which is false can break down. Right? Truth does not break. So you could call this recognition waking up, waking up or just self-realization. Now, often facts kill our wishes. Facts kill our fantasy life. And then some people, reality is so painful that they kill themselves to wipe out the pain of their dying fantasy. What one suicide researcher called psych ache. So when some people experience the living death of a dying dream, they may choose physical death to abort the painful birth known as grieving. So waiting is the magic wand we hope will make life fit our fantasy. That's good. Waiting is the magic wand we hope will make life fit our fantasy. So what am I waiting for? What, what do I think is going to come along and 
change lives so that it fits my fantasies. But uh, perhaps our fantasies must change to fit what is here. When we start waiting for life to change, we change instead. Every crisis in life cracks our defenses and unlocks our feelings, revealing hidden dimensions in ourselves. After bearing those hidden dimensions, we experience insights rising from within. When we dive inside, we experience ourselves more deeply and we find the wisdom for which we longed. And we can choose whether to deny reality or to embrace it. So reality is you have to work hard to make a living. Reality is for most people, they have to fit themselves to their boss. Reality is that working for a living means being a wage slave for 40 hours a week. Reality means the more attuned you are to what your boss wants and the more you do what your boss wants rather than what you want, the more successful you will be at work. So you have to subordinate yourself to your boss's wishes to hold down a job. Feelings are forms of love. They are invitations to embrace reality so that the false can drop away revealing the real in you. Revenge is a form of magic. When we exact revenge, we pretend that we can get rid of our pain by putting it in other people. So when we carry around resentment and yearning for revenge, it's like we're an air traffic controller, but we've got all these planes of plans for revenge and resentment just buzzing around so that we can't concentrate on the real planes that we have to land. So we may have 10 planes that we have to land, 10 important things that we need to do today, but we're also carrying around 20 different resentments. So instead of just concentrating on 10 planes, we've got 30 planes out there that we need to land. That's why life filled with resentment doesn't work. Why do we tell ourselves lies? To avoid the feelings that arise when we face reality. We avoid the truths of our lies by waiting for our fantasies to become true rather than face what is true. So, I have had the fantasy of just being a full-time YouTuber. But that's not going to happen, right? I, luckily, I didn't, uh, I didn't abstain from work. And I've always made sure that I have other sources of income. So whatever make, money I make from YouTube is just a bonus. I've never depended upon my, my YouTube income to pay the bills. So I just noticed uh, J.F. Garapi made a video, 10 Reasons Why Odyssey is Better Than YouTube. So he's done his last uh, four streams on Odyssey only. So it sounds like JF Garapi is switching to Odyssey permanently. He may just do an occasional video on YouTube. And he was banned from Twitter a few days ago. Given the same bogus explanation that Keith Woods was, that, uh, that they were spamming the platform. So JF mentioned that he was spending five hours a day on Twitter. And he's feeling so much happier and more productive now that he no longer is on Twitter. So I'm sure that's true. Judging by what he says, if you're spending hours a day on Twitter, that's not time well spent. Waiting for what is real to become unreal is how we lie to ourselves about our loved ones, ourselves, and life itself. Right? So I've had various girlfriends break up with me and you know, they were never coming back, and those were never relationships that were, that were meant to last. We suffer because we fight reality, a fight we will always lose. Yeah, that's good. 
So I'm 55 years old now. I don't have energy and time and inclination to keep fighting reality. I want to have a positive relationship with reality. So reality is I'm on vacation here in Australia. Reality is I'm thinking of moving here. Reality is I'm enjoying time with my family. Reality is I'm reading books right now and journaling and thought, oh, I'll make a quick video on the lies we tell ourselves. I just downloaded like four different books. They all include the phrase, the lies we tell ourselves. Look, there's so many. There's John Fredrickson, the lies we tell ourselves, how to face the truth, accept yourself and create a better life. Then there's Dana Morocco, the top 10 lies we tell ourselves and how to stop living them. Then there's Ryan O'Connell, I'm special, and other lies we tell ourselves to get through our 20s. So people in their late teens and 20s tend to have a dramatic overestimation of their own abilities and their own chances. Then there's another book here, Lauren Holm, Daily Dishonesty, The Beautiful Little Lies We Tell Ourselves Every Day. And uh, there are more books than that. Just put the lies we tell ourselves into... Amazon. There's a Harlequin Teen book, Lies We Tell Ourselves. Lies We Tell Ourselves, colon, The Psychology of Self-Deception. I'm special. The Lies We Tell Ourselves, How to Overcome Lies and Experience the Emotional Health, Intimate Relationships, and Spiritual Fulfillment You've Been Seeking. The Top 10 Lies We Tell Ourselves and How to Stop Living Them. The Lies We Tell Ourselves. There's not enough time and other lies we tell ourselves. Lies we tell ourselves, call on how to say no to temptation and put an end to compromise. The truth and other lies we tell ourselves. Learn how to choose the words that determine the outcomes in your life. Useful delusions, the power and paradox of the self-deceiving brain. That looks good. Okay, that's got more reviews than anything else. Lies we believe about God. Okay, so lots of books here on the theme of the, the lies we tell ourselves. This is, this is a topic I'm fascinated in right now. So no matter how much we fight reality, reality always wins. So whatever it is that I think I might avoid by leaving Los Angeles and moving to Sydney, it's going to come with me. Rather than face what is, we may choose what is not here, waiting for our fantasies to appear and make reality disappear. So... A normal person spends six to eight hours at least around other people. So I had weeks and months where I was only spending about an hour a day around other people. That's not healthy. <laughs> That's living in fantasy. When we maintain our illusions, the life we have passes by while we wait for a fantasy life that never arrives. So it's hard to maintain your illusions when you have other people in your life. When you're talking to other people, even on YouTube, and as long as you're interacting with other people, it's very hard to maintain your illusions. You have to be a particular, particular force of, of sick to be able to maintain gross delusions and illusions when you're interacting with others, spending six to eight hours with other people every day, presuming that some of those people have some care for you, right? If you're just dealing with people who are forced to interact with you for business or social reasons but they don't care about you, you may, you may not get the, the feedback that you need. When we maintain our illusions, life we have passes by 
while we wait for a fantasy life that never arrives. So you can't maintain your illusions when you have close friends. Right? Your friends won't permit you to maintain your illusions. So the losses of life are then compounded by the losses we inflict upon ourselves. We get attached to fantasies of how we should be loved, how we should be respected, how we should be desired. Our suffering is not caused by these fantasies, but by our attachment to them. So that reminds me, I was taking a writing class, and inspired by my writing class with uh, writing teacher Terry Silverman in Los Angeles, I started uh, writing about what I find erotic. And I read that essay to the class, and uh, I was later told that essay was quite inappropriate to, to share with the class. It you know, may have traumatized people who had been through some bad things, like the bad things I was writing about that I find erotic. So I accepted that that was inappropriate to read to a class, so I started sharing it with some friends. And uh, some of my, many of my friends really resonated, so I guess they dealt with the same eroticized rage issues that I did. Then I, I took it to therapy, and I read it to my therapist. And he said, wow, that sounds like eroticized rage. And uh, since I heard that phrase, first time I'd ever heard that phrase, like, whoa, it, it struck me. And I went home, and I Googled it right before Shabbat, and I said, oh, wow, I've got eroticized rage, and that's a form of sex and love addiction. I better go to a 12-step program to get help. And that marked the beginning of a significant improvement in my life which began with just writing, just journaling, right? I, I, I journal quite a bit. And then out of the journaling, I'll get an idea for an essay, and then I'll start sharing it with friends, sharing it with a therapist. So having people in my life that I could share these things with, I got the feedback that I needed and uh, realized that I needed to make, make a change, go in a new direction, get some help, and enter a 12-step program for love addiction. G'day, Jim Bowden. You're still working. Guess what? Luke pops up on my screen. Happy New Year, mate. We'll catch up with you in Sydney. I'll see you in a, in a few days. Happy New Year, Jim Jim Bowden. And uh, don't get the Omicron. So something like 23,000 people have tested positive for Omicron in, in New South Wales. So 20,000 in LA County, which has you know, significantly more people than, than New South Wales. So what are the latest figures in... Uh, yeah, about 22,000 in New South Wales have the Omicron. But apparently very few people get hospitalized and very few people die from, from the Omicron. So that's good. Reality often disappoints, whereas fantasy seduces us with the promise of infinite fulfillment. So like real-life women have flaws, and uh, real-life women say no, and real-life women get headaches and get colds, Okay, Art Bell, solid topic. With Luke, big talk of a grand move, ignoring 10,000 books to haul from L.A. while hauling 40,000 pounds of horse dung. <laughs> yeah, the lies we tell ourselves. I can't afford to tell myself any lies right now. I need to just face the truth. I'm about to make a big move to Sydney. I've spent, I've spent about 42 of my last 45 years living in California. Now I'm moving back to Australia. The Lukes we tell ourselves, happy 2022. So what's all the really weird spam, like Vask Tech, Vot FYI, and uh, what's with the people imitating uh, Vivian, Vivian Veritas? So someone was imitating Vivian Veritas. They even set up a Vivian Veritas YouTube channel, which is not Vivian. And uh, came into 
came into the stream on Sunday saying, Hey, Luke, you look so amazing. By the way, I'm getting divorced. Well, that's not the real Vivian. So we have a merry prankster in our midst. Who would have thought that on the internet people don't always tell the truth? Okay, the lies we tell ourselves. What are the primary lies you tell yourself? This is a safe place. Right, you can share. Reality often disappoints, whereas fantasy seduces us with the promise of infinite fulfillment. So, you can have a whole second life on the internet, you know, creating alternate characters. I don't have any characters on the internet that are not, not under my name. So, but creating a second life on the internet, that's where you get to live your fantasies. Because reality disappoints. Well, I think often reality disappoints because you don't like the people that you're around. You might need to move to a better community. You might need to move to Australia, mate. When we see a therapist, we mourn the deaths of those seductive promises. Promises about how we should be loved, how we should be admired. When we avoid these painful feelings, we suffer the symptoms that result from ignoring the emotional truth of our lives. So I can't afford to ignore any emotional truth in my life right now. I'm about to make a big move. And I need to be in reality and be in truth. In therapy, we can face the feelings we have avoided and stop living in a world that no longer exists. So what should you be doing right now? What are you avoiding in your life? What feelings are you avoiding? And what world are you living in that no longer exists? What a difficult funeral to hold when we cling to a treasured self-image of one who has loved, victorious, admired, or right. So pretty much every time I do a live stream, after I stop it, I think, oh man, I should have said this. I forgot to say this. I said something that was wrong, inaccurate. I, I revealed something that I didn't want to reveal. So every live stream is like an exercise in imperfection. Like, oh, I shouldn't have gone there. I should have said this. I should have added this point. I forgot to cite this research study. I forgot to add in this statistic. So I have fantasies about doing the perfect live stream. When we avoid these painful feelings, we suffer the symptoms that result from ignoring the emotional truths of our lives. In therapy, we can face the feelings we have avoided and stop living in a world that no longer exists. What a difficult funeral to hold when we cling to a treasured self-image of one who has loved, victorious, admired, or right. And so, yeah, I've often tried to manipulate people to like me, and it's tiring, and then wise people don't like being manipulated right people will resent you for manipulating them so i know quite a few highly manipulative people and they're always trying to you know work the angles come up with explanations and people resent that people don't like it even if they don't realize it in the moment or they're not strong enough to resist the manipulation so i'm never going to be universally loved i'm never going to consistently be victorious I'm never going to have you know, universal admiration and I'm not always going to be right. right? So these self-images are the conceptual clothes that hide who we are. So I'm someone who's loved by some people and hated by perhaps just as many people. I'm someone who is victorious some of the time and a loser just as much. I have some people who admire me and just as many who despise me. I'm right sometimes and wrong just as many times. 
that I can drop these self-images, these conceptual clothes that hide the real me. Life pulls these lies out of our hands and we cry as we let go of our delusions. But we have one more strategy for clinging to our self-image. We can treat sadness as a problem to work through and to get over. Our grief is not a problem. Our grief is a path. Hey, buddy. Happy New Year to you. Our grief is not a problem. Our grief is a path. So you lose a marriage, you lose a job, you lose a friend. There's a path to discovering truth. When we grieve, we surrender to the truth that washes away what is false and just leaves behind what is real. We don't get over grief, but we live through grief into a communion with what is. Look, why Sydney of all places? LA and New York are the places where all the action is. With respect, as the saying goes, if you want to make it, it certainly is not Sydney. Please explain. Well, I'm not 25 anymore. I'm not 35. I am 55. All right? I'm not going to make it. All right? I'm not going to make it bigger than I've already made it. So... Uh, New York is a great place for the ambitious. Los Angeles is a great place for the ambitious. The United States is a great place for the ambitious. But I'm not the striver that I used to be. I just want to enjoy a high quality of life, hang out with my mates, make a few videos, read some books, go to synagogue, go to the beach, hang out with friends and family. Right. Not the striving, young, ambitious bloke that I once was. So if, if my primary goal right now was my ambition, my career, uh, getting famous, uh, becoming influential, achieving power, then yeah, I'd want to stay in L.A. But those are not my primary goals now. The secondary goals. They're nice. I wouldn't turn down any of those things. But they're not primarily about what my life revolves around right now so sydney is an exciting big city like five million people in sydney a lot of great universities in sydney and a lot of mates of mine in sydney recent ugly truth women have 10 years to command the world and dazzle then egg fertility shrinks to 10 percent skin sags at age 25 for women marilyn monroe was drunk and sloppy near the end mid-30s yeah, so the, the brutal truth is that women are much better off if they want to have kids, having them in their 20s rather than in their 30s. That uh, if you haven't conceived by age 35, it starts becoming very, very difficult. And much of women's power is in their femininity and attractiveness, which peaks around ages 16 to 18 for the typical women. So women are best suited for getting married between age 20 and 30. Like men can marry into their 50s. You know, men, 55-year-old men like me can still date and marry women in their 20s and 30s. Right? So in some ways, life is tougher on women than it is on men. In other ways, life is tougher on men than it is on women. So, for example, it's not socially acceptable for a man, generally speaking, to be a house husband. <clears throat> Most wives are not at ease with their husband staying home and looking after the house and looking after the kids. So... To be a normal man, you have to go out into the world and provide and work, and you need to make more money than your wife. Very few women are content for very long if they are out earning their husbands. So in that aspect, life is tougher on men than on women. So what was the, 
the saying by God in the book of Genesis after Adam and Eve eat from the forbidden fruit, uh, because you've done this, because you've eaten of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, women will give birth in pain and men will earn a living by the sweat of their brow. So from a Christian perspective, this is a curse. From a Jewish perspective, this is just a reality. So from a Christian perspective, the, this is the original sin, eating the forbidden fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. From a Jewish perspective, this is what is. We want knowledge. We want to know how the world works, even if it makes life more painful. So Judaism does not hold with original sin. It holds with original innocence, but we are born with predispositions towards goodness and towards cruelty. Luke is in his Hefna stage, pajamas all day, every day, Men get into their 50s, look around. Women get to the end of their 20s. Disavow. So men certainly pay a price. Like, I'm, I'm a bachelor at age 55. There's a price to be paid for that. It makes it more difficult for me to have, uh, have kids as a 55-year-old bloke. And... Uh, Life, life is better when you have a partner. All right, back to this terrific book. The lies we tell ourselves, how to face the truth, accept yourself, and create a better life. So we do not get over our grief, but we live through it in a communion with what is. In this communion, we need not give up our illusions since the tears wash away our attachment to the fantasies that ward off life. So many things start off as adaptive, like alcohol can reduce inhibitions, help you to socialize better. Uh, television can make life more exciting and it can provide a distraction. Uh, fantasies can help you deal with painful reality. But once you start excessively consuming these things, then what begins as adaptive becomes maladaptive. And so if we spend too much time in fantasy, we start warding off reality. The degree of our suffering equals our distance from reality. So we may think we can fool life and fool ourselves by living in fantasy. That just increases our suffering. Rather than end our suffering by running toward the truth, we run farther from it through food, work, alcohol, drugs, and sex. Yeah, so these substance addictions and process addictions are ways of taking our eye off the ball, ways of you know, running away from reality. And recovery means accepting reality. And when we accept reality, then we get serenity. So the prayer goes, God grant us the serenity to accept the things we cannot change but it really works the other way around. Once we accept the things we cannot change, what flows from that is serenity. So when you have a substance addiction or a process addiction, what you're really addicted to is not being here in the present moment, which is the only real home that we have. We develop addictions because we don't want to feel what we're feeling. We don't want the present. We want to live in an imaginary past or future. So if you're consuming porn, like you're living in an imaginary world. We are hooked on an imaginary experience of the not me, not now. That's the universal addiction, to get away from ourselves, get away from reality.
Food, drugs, internet, sex, fame, work, booze, the tools we use to leave the real world for an imaginary world, how we think people ought to be. So if you're consistently interacting with, with friends, you're not going to be after, it's going to be very difficult to live in this world of delusion. You have to isolate to be able to spend a lot of time in this fantasy world of delusion. Running from reality, Elaine on Seinfeld's psychiatrist's boyfriend said when she was breaking out with him during a session. <laughs> so, yep, it's, uh, it'll be Shabbos here in about three hours. And there's not a synagogue within 300 miles of me. So, do you, how often do you leave the real world for an imaginary world for how you think things should be and how people should be? So if you're getting high on marijuana, if you're boozing excessively, if you're using pornography, you're deliberately trying to stave off reality to spend time in a fantasy world. So in fantasies, we long for an idealized past or an idealized future which never existed. So I've noticed whenever I've moved places, I then spend an inordinate amount of time writing to people in the places that I've just left. And rather than embrace reality rather than embrace the, the new place I live I'm I'm trying to you know recapture this idealized past these idealized relationships we can't live yesterday today rather than be present to what is present we wait for what we wish was present okay so we all have some very dark fantasies like uh, the dark fantasy just uh, written into the chat. And uh, that that's coming from some, some place of uh, pain and frustration and anger and hurt that I, I don't fully understand, but I partly understand in that I've had some pretty nasty fantasies myself, and it was by articulating these fantasies to a therapist, right? Because when you talk to a therapist, there's client-patient confidentiality. When you write things on the internet, there's not confidentiality. But if you'd share these dark thoughts with a therapist, then you could get to the bottom of why you're having these dark thoughts, what they really mean, what needs they're meeting in you, and you can get some help. Hot women on the scene are gone. Carmen Electra. So many women who dominated the covers of magazines have gone fast. Women get 10 years their 20s. They act like they have men's to age 60 attractiveness. So women have certain vulnerabilities that men don't have, and men have certain vulnerabilities that women don't have. For example, it's much more socially acceptable for women to share their feelings and to express their emotions, much less socially acceptable for men to do that. So men die earlier than women. Okay, good on you, Judas. Good on you for retracting your, certain of your messages. That's kind of an insane thing to post publicly. We imagine that if we lived in a different time or place, we would find our inner home of calm, rest, and contentment, craving the not me, not here, and not now, 
keeps us homeless. Right? LA has a homeless problem, but uh, many people who live in houses also have a homeless problem because they're trying to escape reality. We try to escape from this moment by racing to the next moment. But this moment is the only home we have right now. This moment is the only home we have. This is a place for you. We try to run from our problems. The geographic, that's what we call it in 12 steps. Someone's got a drinking problem, a drugging problem, a women problem, they just move. So I don't want to be doing a geographic if I move from Los Angeles to Sydney. All right? We cannot lift ourselves out of life. No matter where we go, our shadow follows. Everything we run away from inside us always reaches out for our love and our attention. Okay, rather than reach out to what reaches out to us, we race away. We refuse to sit in, to rest in, and be transformed by our feelings. So what are you running away from? What is reaching out to you from inside that you're running from? So that's why I like to spend a lot of time journaling, to try to uncover what's underneath the, the surface try to get to what is true, to try to shed light on my thinking process. We are addicted to not bearing what we feel, to not being who we are. We are stoned on imaginary selves, imaginary others, our fantasies of what other people are like, and imaginary states of mind. These are the real drugs. That's so good. Right? Many people are stoned on marijuana and drugs and, and alcohol, but many more are stoned on imaginary selves, right? these grandiose conceptions they have of themselves, imaginary conceptions of other people, imaginary states of mind. So what are our defenses? Defenses are the lies we tell ourselves to avoid pain. So many people don't want to give up on their fantasies. They'd rather give up on life. We try to cling to our illusions by asking other people to change for us into our favorite fantasies. Rather than coming home and facing painful truths, we try to get rid of them. Healing occurs when we love our depths, no matter how messy and pathological. Remember the joke. What is psychotherapy? It's when a big mess meets a littler mess. Our raw vulnerability to life never goes away. When you love people, you're vulnerable. I mean, look at Jim Bowden. I met Jim Bowden. He can no longer troll me because he's had a fair dinkum experience of the real me. I'm no longer just an object talking on YouTube. Our raw vulnerability to life never goes away. We doom ourselves when we refuse to face our humanity. Our flaws are the mirrors in which we see ourselves. We long for a world where everybody gets along and the lion and the lamb lie down together. It's a beautiful story. But what happens when life shows up instead? You become angry. Wow, my preferences did not happen. We want to live in an imaginary world rather than the real world. We yearn for spouses who want what we want. We yearn for friends who agree with us. We yearn for colleagues who follow our directions. Don't be who you are. Be who I want you to be. 
we compare what happens with what we think should be happening, and we try to escape into our fantasies. We don't want conflict, because conflict destroys our fantasies. We try to reject those parts of reality that do not fit with what we want. When we decide what we will accept and dismiss the rest, we sentence part of ourselves to death row. We try to sanitize ourselves to appear pure. This is hatred of life. When we try to transcend life, we reject life. To aim for zero negativity, we must reject the negative in ourselves. If you love something, you're going to hate that which threatens it. Love and hate, part of the same continuum. So a priest confided his self-hatred to this therapist. The therapist said, according to your theology, God made you in God's image. Is that right? From your point of view, does God love you? He nodded. Since God made you in his image and God loves you, wouldn't it make sense to join him by loving yourself? Right? Be a good friend to yourself. So why do we tell ourselves lies? Because it's more comfortable. So how do we deceive ourselves? How do we distort reality? Or we blame other people. You forced me. People create conflicts within ourselves and we blame them. So many, many psychotherapists also refuse to embrace reality. Some of them suffer from an allergy to misplaced empathy. So when the therapist says to a patient describing a difficult situation, that must have been hard for you. This is psychosyrupy. It's like a form of pseudo-empathy. That must have been really hard for you. So as therapists and as friends, we should empathize with people, but not with the behaviors that destroy their lives. Bye-bye.